Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Show. I'm your host, Jeremy Thake. The only show focused on Office 365 development, where I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. So I'm here in uh, Building 34 today with Steve Walker, so uh, thanks for coming on the show. Again, you're my first guest that we've had on the show twice. Oh, I feel I feel honored, Jeremy. Thank you. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, that you would even let me uh, talk <laughs> for more than once. So. Yeah, you figured it would be like a few years before you got back on the show again. Oh yeah. So um, we're on episode eighteen. So we've had some really good traction on the show already. It's um, September thirtieth. We've had the Windows Ten announcement this morning. Yes, seven eight nine. So yeah. it's ten now. Oh yes. That's, <laughs> so God, you have to explain it a bit, a bit slower. Oh, uh, why is it Windows Ten? Because seven, eight, nine. Yes. But on boom. Kind of get it. It is a big leap. I think there's a lot more to be announced from a dev angle build. I think this was more of a consumer announcement. Yep. So I'll be throwing it on my Surface, which is my secondary machine, not my primary machine. You're a little braver than I. Yeah. Uh, I I've come, even though my Surface is my secondary machine, I've grown quite accustomed to running the meetings with it. And so uh, yeah. I will... Uh, I will, I will watch with interest how your experiment goes, and I may jump on board if, you, if you're lucky. So. I think that the whole dog food thing in general, like being six months in now and, and trialing some stuff that's, you know, being released in a few weeks is, it's been an interesting experience. Yes. And when you're trying to be productive and you expect things to just work, sometimes the dog food nature isn't great. Yeah. I will say that we have come uh, miles, not just not just the Windows guys, but even in the SharePoint side. When I first came to the engineering team, our dog food environment was, uh, let's just say it was a roll of the dice if it was going to be up or down that day and how yeah. it was going to perform. But now that we're shipping so quickly, uh, we we can't let the stability get, yeah, right. get below. So there's actually been great improvements in that space just in the three and a half, four years that I've been up here. Uh, in Redmond, and you know, I think the Windows guys are moving in that same direction. Yeah, it's the same kind of cadence, right? Yeah. Because now they're saying that the updates will just happen. It's not like a get a service pack or that's right. Thing. Yeah. More smaller updates yeah. are always less risky. Yeah. Uh, than big bang, yeah, than major big bangs, major right. releases every three years, which we'll talk about today in the show, I guess. That's right. That's right. So um, before we go into the show and, and what we're talking about, maybe it's a quick introduction. Maybe if people didn't listen to episode nine with you, Vessa. Okay. So, yes. so who is Steve Walker? Yep. So my name is Steve Walker. I am on the SharePoint. Oh, actually, now I'm on the Office 365 customer adoption team. Uh, we focus on, so we're ex-field people. We've worked with a large number of our uh, biggest enterprise customers. I came out of consulting services and uh, spent a number of years twisting and bending SharePoint to my will and to my customer's will, extending it where I needed to. Very, very familiar with all of the types of customizations that are done in SharePoint. Um, my focus now is really on the Office 365 development story, so extending beyond SharePoint, uh, encompassing developer extensibility across the suite. Um, you know, I've done some Office client development in the past. I've done, I think I told you stories about doing exchange development in the past, back when that was still a thing. Um, and so I'm excited to, to see this suite-wide story coming together. Uh, we brought Vez on the team not too long ago. He's still laser-focused on patterns and practices. I'm still uh, involved in that somewhat, um, but I'm really focusing towards the the O365 APIs, the 
the ISB scenarios uh, right now, and also driving our pre-release, so right. pre-release programs that we have uh, focused on developers. Yeah, so yeah. that's uh, the third half of my job. So. And we had a great, great event last week with a lot of the ISVs showing them some new stuff that we'll be talking about near the end of the year. And yeah, I can't wait to do a podcast. Yeah, after, that's uh, going to be awesome. Yeah, after we show that stuff in uh, in Barcelona, so yeah, uh, that'll be good. Yeah, we brought some of our biggest and best partners uh, up here to Redmond. We locked ourselves in a in a room or in a building for a week with uh, the PMs and the devs from the office developer platform team. So a lot of really great ideas, and uh, I think we'll have some good ones to show come, yeah. come tech ed. So. Yeah, it's good to have a launch where we can actually show real-world stuff that the ISVs have been thinking about. So it's uh, it's been exciting to do that. So um, before we jump in with what we're going to talk about today, there was a few um, posts, as usual, every week. Our community is extremely active. Uh, I think this is the first week in a while I haven't mentioned Richard Desariga, so clearly you must be busy with something <laughs> this week. Not to knock you rich, but it's nice to see some other faces on here. Yeah. Um, so funny enough, we've been doing a little bit of work with Kirk Evans, who was in town um, last week for a little bit for another engagement with the Azure group that he works with. But the um, the SharePoint context helper and the token helper stuff that's available in the Visual Studio projects with SharePoint provider-hosted apps... Um, they use a mechanism of session cache that That's right. isn't supported um, if you want to mass scale on Azure website. That's right. You're pretty much locked to one website and right. what you can scale within that unit using the the, the, the code that we give you, right. so to speak. So Kirk's um, produced essentially a modification to those helper classes, which... I think we, it's an extension, right? Yeah. yeah. And then we're, but we've, uh, we're actually pushed that back and we're discussing with the Visual Studio team now, uh, Shucks, who's been on the show already, yep. and a few other guys on how we can improve that so it's more supported and open source. So it's pretty cool to work with, you know, Kirk who's in the field, pushing the Azure story and provider hosted and making sure that our story aligns closely. So if you're if you're hitting that barrier right now, Kirk's post is definitely going to be uh, helpful. But in the future, we'll have a better story now we've got that feedback and moving through with that team. So that that's a great post this week. And I just love seeing the internal teams embrace that. You know, the question coming, well, can we just open source this? Right, right. right? And, yeah. and I just love seeing those conversations. Yeah. So I know we've, you know, put a lot of stuff out there on, on GitHub already. And yeah. I, I look forward to these these areas where we see people are having to do common customizations, you know, getting a uh, getting an open source. Story yeah, I mean, between the Android SDK for the Office 365 yeah. APIs in preview and the Exchange EWS APIs for the Java side of the house and open XML, you know, we're really pushing it now, which is great. And it's not just, there's been a few comments, but well, we're open sourcing those things so we can don't care about them anymore. But um, our engineering teams are still pushing into them. But what we're finding now is that people are forking in and summoning pull requests. So it's pretty cool to see yeah. some of the additions that have come through in the open XML one. Uh, we've had a few in the Android SDK. Yep. I think the biggest contributions, though, credit to Vesa and uh, myself and the rest of the PMP team is been around the PMP repos. So yeah, that thing has one. become the most forked and, yeah. and liked uh, repo in, in our GitHub Office Dev repo. Yeah. Uh, we've seen some great contributions from folks in the community. You know, it was interesting because uh, uh, one of the first bits of feedback we got was, well, that's great if I'm writing C-sharp code. This is all CSOM stuff, you know, and I have to go write. What about me and Mr. PowerShell? Right. And Erwin jumps in, and he built all those PowerShell wrappers yeah, yeah. around our core component. It just just gold. Yeah. If you haven't seen that stuff, go go check it out. If you're a PowerShell jockey and want to want to use some of that, then uh, I think there's goodness there. For you. Yeah, and it's evolving every week, and it, it, it is. Know, it's getting to the point where we're going to have to start working out better mechanisms to show updates around that stuff. So 
We yeah, we had a we, we had an update. Uh, we kind of gave an update when we did the September merge. So yep. we have taken more of a practice where the core team is forking this off to do monthly merges back. Um, you can still see our branch, but uh, uh, we're being a little more careful. And yes, we absolutely need to. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> We need to do what we would like for all the engineering teams to do, which is release uh, updates and tell us what changed and what enhancements <laughs> there were so that the community can both discover the new greatness right. and find out where we broke them. So uh, we want to lead by example, and I look for yeah. that to be a whole lot better in November. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And then another one um, with all the office graph noise that happened last week, which Richard Zariga had actually posted a bunch of stuff, um, but it was calling against the raw REST APIs to search. And what Mikhail Svensson his SharePoint MVP have put together is essentially taking the same approach but calling the search APIs using SharePoint CSOM. So if you weren't comfortable using the REST API directly, you're just using web requests, you could use SharePoint CSOM to do the same thing. So that was pretty cool That's as well. Cool. So, you know, it's spinning on its head a bit. So yeah. um, it's been funny that the Delve team were like, well, you know, we don't see very much. You, you know, no one's going to jump on this. And we pushed them so hard, like, just give us some Docker on the API and you yep. watch what happens. And already there's been quite a few GitHub repos spun up around this Office Graph. So Yeah, a ton of interest yeah. in this. I mean, yeah. I think, uh, you know, people get the the power of yeah. having that centralized graph where you can aggregate those yeah. signals. And that the stalker that. API, as I like to call the it. The stalker API, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes, we can call it, uh, you know, office365.creeper. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty cool if we got that, that endpoint. <laughs> and then lastly, uh, Wardek Mastercars, uh, another SharePoint MVP and a, a very good friend of mine, um, has written an article on, essentially, if you've built an Outlook app, it's great, the acquisition flow is great if you're getting from things from the store. But it's not so great if you're getting things that have been custom built that you're deploying via the app catalog and wanting to push out to your organization in almost the side-loaded approach. Yeah, and we see a a, a large number of enterprise customers that take that side-loading approach. I'll follow up on some guidance that we're working on there. Cool. And um, so Wardex um, put a post together which kind of explains that that step-by-step of how he's done it with his organizations that he works with, um, with um, Avention, which is the company he works for over there in uh, in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And so that was another great post. So it's good to see Wardex kind of coming off the rails of web content management and onto the rails of... um, other areas of the development. Platform. That guy will speed on whatever rails he gets on. He's a, <laughs> yeah. he's a machine. I, I, yeah. I really uh, got a lot of respect for him. So, so again, if, if we're not mentioning your blog post that you're putting through and um, you'd like to have a mention the show, please uh, just tweet me and let me know and um, I'll add you to my RSS feed. Uh, there's there's quite a few I read and um, it's great to see that you know I can get through some posts before we start in deep into the show. Yeah. So um, to jump into the show, I guess the... Um, the trigger for this was some discussions that's been happening internally with a bunch of SharePoint MVPs, and I think with what you're seeing with the customers you're talking to from yeah. your role, right? Yep. Which is, uh, you know, SharePoint's come a long way. It's been around for a long, long time now, and I guess the notion of we, if you go back to the Rails scenario, we've come from a, a platform that was totally off the rails in SharePoint 2003 and earlier, where you could pretty much do whatever you liked. You go in there and poke around in the files. To 2007 was a set of rails, but it was quite wide. You had this and, notion... And the product yeah. had a, a base level of extensibility. Right. Uh, it was actually an amazing engineering uh, feat, the, yeah. the, the level of extensibility that the engineering team built. You know, there's a lot of those scenarios they built for themselves, 
but us crafty folks out in the field figured out, well, that's just a .NET control. Yeah. I can build my own and register my own. And so we saw this just plethora of different ways that people bent and twisted SharePoint to meet their customers' needs. And it's quite awesome to see. Uh, I was, I was one of those, one of those ones. We built a, uh, web content management solution accelerator when I was in MCS that was kind of common field. I mean, we had field controls. We had HTTP modules. We had, you know, patterns to do custom site definitions even, which, right. oh my God, I, I, I cringe now thinking custom about Custom fills, that. delegate controls. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, delegate controls for yeah. everything, yeah. right? Even the nav so that you could, you know, remove and replace, uh, right, right. in different, different areas of your environment. So, you know, I, I, I am very familiar with all of the different ways that people extend that. Uh, and that's powerful. That's great. Um, now enter Office 365, right? Uh, back in the day when we were releasing every six months or every three years and maybe once a year you would have a, a large service pack that, uh, you would have some changes that maybe you'd have to test against. Uh, but it was pretty much that three year cycle. And so when you're, when your customer or your organization would look to upgrade, you know, they're willing to pay a little bit of a tax to go in and upgrade those things. You use it as an opportunity. Hey, are there any platform features that mean I don't need these customizations anymore? Yes, you know, taxonomy-driven navigation, right, being one that I built over and over and over again. Right. Come 2013, I don't need that anymore, you know. So you use that as an opportunity to kind of call out the customizations you did where the platform actually innovated. Uh, but then you would have to update that code, right? Yeah. You would update all that code. You would have to update the all of your list uh, schemas and definitions to be the new page model, you know, so to speak. We've, we've made a lot of introduction of change in the 2013 page model, right, for the yeah. MDS and, and, you know, all of those other things that we did to make it perform better over the WAN. And so if you had, you know, custom list views and custom uh, custom pages and things like that, you had to go in and you had to touch them, you had to convert them all, uh, custom master pages, right, master page models different in 2013 than it was before. Um so again, you would you'd be okay. You know, right. this is something I'm going to do back it, here in my QA environment. Right. And it was controlled because if you're on premises, you didn't net, you could wait before you rolled out 2013. You own make, the updates yeah. on prem. Right, right. That's exactly right. And, and I spent a number of years telling customers. You know, they would they would complain to me. Uh, one of the thirds of my job for three years was, you know, the uh, crit set escalation stuff that uh, you know big customers would land on me because we broke them in a CU or you right, know, right. something like that. And, you know, one of the things that we used to tell them was, why didn't you test that in mm -hmm. your QA environment? Why did you get all the way to prod before you do that? Uh, because we had that lever, right? right? Uh, you could stand up dev test, dev integration, you know, QA, and then prod. You could right. do, put a lot of rigor around that. Office 365, you can't. Yeah. Um, and so it's a little bit different um, when you're thinking about extending it, when you're thinking about developing on top of it. Um, we update that service now twice a month. Right. Um, and we actually have patch trains that go in daily. Uh, so while we do try to coordinate, you know, impactful feature releases in a way that's going to be, uh, you know, acceptable to our users, we have found that there are a notable number of common scenarios where this causes rework. Um, you know, one of the most we see a lot that people want to hide the sweet nap. I'm just going to throw out a, yeah, an example, yeah. right? Make uh, it thinner. They, they want to make it thinner. They yeah. want to inject their own links into it. They want yeah. to hide the Microsoft branding, the O365, and put their own. Um, and the fact of the matter is that guy is buried into the master page. And so right. when you do those types of things, if we make change, right? So even if it's not that we're 
I think once we added a wrapper control to that so that in the future we could flight things. Well, that broke a lot of people's master pages when right. they had unghosted and removed those and, and that wrapper didn't light up the things because right. they'd taken it out. That's yeah. exactly right. So they're asking support. You know, you wouldn't believe how many support calls get generated. You know, yeah. I also look at that data. Uh, get generated from people who have done that, and then they say, well, none of that new stuff's showing up. Why is that? And it's a bit of a journey. Like, I remember, you know, 2007 with the solution package introduction was great because it did put you on wider rails where you, you deployed things rather than hacking away out-of-the-box files. For right. a long time, though, when 2007 first came out, people were still going and deploying stuff to the GAC manually. Oh, or, yeah. You know, doing, like, an X copy into the Hive and those kind of things. And it was only really until... 2010 got launched in beta and everyone tried to upgrade their farms that they realized actually we need to use solution packages for everything That's because right. we're missing certain customizations That's and right. I'm doing beyond compare file differentials yep. on hives to see what's changed between uh, a base installer of 2007 and one where the dev's gone crazy either adding additional files to the hive that didn't oh, go yeah. through solution packages or I've which was the big killer was yeah. modifying yeah, absolute big killer. So the you know the docicons.xml. I right. mean that's one where we do kind of you know, okay, fine. You can modify that because it's the only way you can do it. Right. Uh, but yeah, anything besides that, don't look with those files. Right. But you're exactly right. We would see that over and over. I mean, I know in the you know the 2007 2008 days, I went into a customer and they had inter intermittent issues. Yeah. You know, sometimes users would see things and sometimes the page would exception out. And come to find out, they had six servers in the farm, and five, one of them didn't have the five files of on them it. had the files, and one of them did right, not. Right. And so, depending on the round robin, you yeah. Know, and I think uh, like the rails then got smaller with the app yep. model because we couldn't deploy um, directly to the GAC. That's right. You couldn't deploy files to the Hive in yep. a way that you could with full trust solutions, solution packages, and and so I think. You know, there's there's still a no, notion that well, I'm on premises, I can do what I like with my SharePoint Server farm, but I think you know with this, I think I, the best I've heard it is Chris Johnson uh, was saying, you know, like you should treat your SharePoint Server environment just like you would treat SharePoint Online, regardless of whether you're going to go there. Yeah, and month, I firmly year, believe that three years, five years, and I firmly believe that, and we have seen customers <laughs> who have moved to this new app model with yeah. their customizations, even from their on-prem farms, that have seen significant reductions in both their uh, their cost for running their farms. They yeah. don't have to do a ton of testing. They right. don't have to involve their developers in all of the upgrades and make sure that things are working as long as the apps still work, right? Because yeah. um, we're using a defined service contract to talk to SharePoint as a service. Um, so it lets your infrastructure folks and your dev folks kind of break right. that three-legged race that they've always been in with SharePoint. Um, you know, that's that's kind of how we're doing that for O365 and why we're doing that for O365 because we don't want to go through anybody who's been through what it takes to do an upgrade in the dedicated environment and the amount of coordination yeah, right. that we have to do with the customers. You have all oh, you have 27 solution packages and these are all going to have to be tested and you know and some of them dot, are the ISV and, and some of them are ISVs right. and so that drags these timelines out. Yeah. You know. Just two immense amounts. I'm not even going to go into how long it is, but it's way longer than you would think. Yeah. Uh, and there's a huge amount of ops cost to that. Um, and so we really learned from that experience. And we said, look, if you're going to run SharePoint as a service and you're going to provide it to your organization as a service, then you need to be able to upgrade it frequently without breaking and touching everything that you've that you've customized in that environment. And so that's really the mantra that we're kind of operating right. in. We want your IT pros 
even if you're running SharePoint on-prem, we want them to have confidence and be able to move forward with the updates that we provide. You know, I think folks have seen where our CUs are kind of aligning with our update cadence in the cloud. Um, you know, you can expect to see more of that in the future. Right. Um, and so, you know, we want to break out of that. Uh, and I think yeah, that, that notion of the rails have just got narrower in yep. terms of what we're allowing to do. And there's a reason for that in the way that we, we want to get to this expectation of our, our engineers are understanding that the, the UI hooks that you have based on being on these rails is what they're taking into consideration when they make changes in, in the service or when they make changes in CU service packs. And That's right. The major release that everyone's asking about for SharePoint Server v next, which will be next year. That's right. And so the more you're prepared for that and the more you're in line with engineering's understanding of, well, this is what we're going to cater for. And mm -hmm. if you're hacking it out of the box files, if you're screwing with the user interface the DOM. That's right. If you're relying right. on all the elements of our DOM to be named specific ways and things right. of that nature, then that's a, uh, that's an area where I'm not going to say that we might break you. Yeah. I will tell you that we will break you. Right. Uh, there has been, you know, I, I could give you a few service updates where I got big rashes of calls where we introduced right. things and, you know, uh, the support volume would raise. And so that's really what's driving this guidance is, look, we, we want your users and your organization to be able to get the features and the innovation that we're making in this service yeah. quickly. That's the value of coming to a service. And right? I think it, it goes back to, and we've said this in a few shows, is, you know, we, 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 both of us have the habit of digging straight to SharePoint because that's where we've come from. Yep. But you really can't think about Office 365 as SharePoint anymore. It's really Office 365 as a platform. And just because you can go in and, and bend SharePoint, whether it be by master pages or injecting JavaScript in SharePoint, you can't do that in OA. You can't do that in Delve. You can't that's do right. that in the video portal that we're talking about. And that's the thing that we're seeing, right? Is, is, you know, and most of our competitors, they, you know, while they do offer some branding, and I'm not going to say that SharePoint's going to move totally away from branding, right? We're still right. going to have, you know, we understand that there's certain properties within your organization that you want to sell your brand. And you have, right. you know, maybe corporate communications has very high standards for what that brand is and what that looks like. Uh, we want you to be able to do those things. But the um, thousands of team sites that you That's up. exactly right. right. So back to our conversation before when we talked about a tax you'll pay every time yeah. you upgrade. You know, maybe you do unghost the intranet master page. Right. And maybe you're willing to, you know, periodically go in and, and diff that with the out-of-the-box one so you can see what we've added and, you know, uh, add the new features in where so, appropriate in right. your layout, uh, you know. And hopefully you don't get that two o'clock in the morning call because you were hijacking the suite nav and jacking a bunch of stuff in there. <laughs> and then we rolled a new suite nav control. Uh, so the two risks you run by doing that are you're going to have some increased maintenance. You're going to be moving along with us as we make these changes. Now we do try to do them in a way that's not impactful, but there's times I, I call out the suite nav because we've changed it two or three times and there's more change coming. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a space we're innovating in. We're hearing customer feedback. Right, right. We want to give them the ability to brand it, to color it, yeah. uh, to put their logos up. And there. that was a great example actually recently where having the ability to color it and the ability to plonk your logo on there rather than have your Office 365 logo on there mm -hmm. is an example of us listening and going, look, okay, rather than you hack out our UI and do that within JavaScript injection with SharePoint Online and not having that consistency when I'm in Outlook or having that mm -hmm. consistency in Groups, which we announced this week. That's right. Um, which is for the first release customers now, but it will be rolling out everywhere. Yeah. You know, if you did hijack the sweet bar, you can only ever do that from SharePoint. That's right. 
Um, so that ability now... So then you have an inconsistent navigation experience between the right, products. which is not great. It's not great. The, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the Outlook team is never going to let you inject right. things into their right. DOM. They're never going to give you the kind of uh, tools that you have from a SharePoint perspective. And so I like to look at it as, yes, you're going to have a few portals that maybe you care a lot about, and you're willing to pay that tax we're talking about. Uh, but for your general team sites... You would much rather, you get a, you get twofold benefits. One, if you use themes and you use the ways that we're recommending in patterns and practices to extend and brand, uh, you can rest assured that the engineering team knows that those are the right. recommended practices. Because they're they're going to test for right. that. Because that's the mechanisms they're providing to do those things. That's right. If it's in patterns and practices, somebody on the engineering team signed up and said, yes, that is how we want people to do that. Right, right. And so... Uh, right or wrong, that's what the engineering team is saying they'll support. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's what you can do in SharePoint, uh, and there's what we want to recommend to people so that they're in line with what engineering's doing. Um, we, we looked at what, what made people customize the master page, and we found that a large number of them were due to the, uh, the SweetNav, uh, branding. And so that's, that's where we listened. We've got yeah. a feature now. Uh, remind me to, tell you about my backlog item for an API for that, and we'll talk about that later. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, good good stuff, and uh, I think we should, you, the more you stay on those rails, the less work you have in the long run, yeah. and the faster your users get features without you doing work, and an added benefit, your SharePoint environment looks like everybody else's SharePoint environment, and looks like our documentation. So right. when your users are going to office.com, and they're finding some guidance, and it says click in the the, the nav on the left and go here, well, you've moved the nav over to the right. Or hidden it completely. Or hidden it completely yeah. because you're creating some experience you think is better. Yeah. Rethink that. Yeah. You know, I mean, a commonality, there's a reason why Outlook web access looks the way it yeah. does. And, right? and I think the question came up in the, the MVP discussion was around, well, what about WCM? And I think just to kind of cater on that side of it, you know, the, the web content management, the publishing side of the house is really that play of, I'm running SharePoint server, whether it be on-premises or whether I'm running it in Azure IaaS or Amazon or wherever. Yep. And you're going to have to be in a full trust code approach there. That's right, because anonymously and, doing uh, internet that, sites is right. not a good thing. And and, uh, and and with that, the more you bend it away from what you get with the publishing and the master page framework, the more risk you're going to run. And again, that I think that goes back to what you're saying about there'll be certain uh, workloads yep. or... or um, portals uh, that you'll want either publicly facing or internally facing but i think you'll see the more of our guidance will be around our portals being more of a focused on our internally facing authenticated that's right using the app model using themes that's right um, and i've seen i've seen and done myself a bunch of public facing internet sites yeah. so i totally get it actually love that space because when you know, I was a consultant when people would ask, what have you been working on? I could actually point them to URLs. Like nothing but SharePoint.com. Exactly. The hours yeah. I spent on that thing. Exactly. Right. So, so there was some attraction to that. And, uh, you know, over time we got really good at it and uh, got, got to where we could stamp out, you know, platform level WCM solutions for customers. But when you do that and you have that level of customization and you have those levels of requirements, because come on, I mean, marketing was paying the bills for that. We all know yeah. marketing's got money, right? Totally. Right? We've got heaps of money. Uh, that's right. I mean, IT never has money. Uh, <laughs> So they would be supportive of that because, you know, they're going to pay millions of dollars to some other vendor to do it anyway. Yeah, and they can yeah. pay us millions of dollars and we'll give them a platform that lets them spin up as many sites as they want. Right. Uh, very attractive business model. But you need to be able to control that upgrade, which is why we're giving you that recommendation that if you're going to do that, that workload in particular, 
you're going to host it in Azure. You're right. going to host it in, in, in an on-prem data center and somewhere. And it might be two years before you whack on the next major version. Bingo. Yeah, right. You're, you're going to own the updates to that. Yeah. Right? You're, you're, you're not The customer might just go, you know what? It's working. Let's leave it on what it is. And I know plenty of fringe net sites that are still running on 2010 because of that. Because it was I like, can point you out to some big ones that are still running 2007, and they're perfectly happy with it. Wow, that. okay. Yeah. Uh, because we built a lot of the features that are in 2010 and 2013. But, hey, you yeah, know. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's, that's the WCM thing kind of covering that, but I guess the other side of it is, you know, we, we focus a lot on, on SharePoint and UI customizations. And one thing that often comes up in this space is, um, the great work that Mark, um, Anderson did in SP services. Love that thing. Um, yeah. so Coplex project, thousands and thousands of downloads, uh, essentially JavaScript wrapper to the ASMX web services. Yeah. Um, SOAP services that are that are deprecated but unlikely to go away because yeah. some deprecated use it. doesn't mean you can't use it. It right. means we're not going to invest in the future and we will take it away at some point. Uh, engineers, you know, if you if I went and sat and s- with some of the ODP guys, the Office Developer Platform guys, and you know, we want to get an upgrade to SOAP services, they pretty much laugh me out of the room. That's right. That's, that's right. what that's what deprecated means. That's what deprecated means. Yeah, no like, engineer is going to touch that. It's dead to them. It's dead to them. It's still running. Right. It's still in there, but it's yeah. just you know we're not going to be adding additional methods or yeah. functions or anything onto those Come things. Come on, man. What we shipped three weeks ago is legacy to those guys. <laughs> it, <laughs> it has been scary being on the inside I, and seeing them be like, shiny new toy over here and yeah, we've yeah, shipped yeah. this stuff and that kind of thing. But I guess I'm still getting used to that. But um, yeah, I think with SP services, it, that's not necessarily a developer thing. So it's not full trust um, code packages. I actually really like it's not the app model. abstraction kind of approach that that Power provides. user. Yeah, yeah, and it's very power user you know, there are a few things that SP Services does where they do some DOM manipulation. Yeah. Um, you know, I know because I have been on the phone with Mark after we broke him in a service update. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, that was a, a very painful, painful thing. And I mean, he did make some changes to it that kind of did an if-then-else and checked for, you know, some mm-hmm. different cases where where to make it work uh, in both situations. But, uh, you know, it put him in a position where we rolled out a feature uh Somebody would call it a feature. Some people call it a regression. But I, I digress. <laughs> uh, that that broke him, and that was very widely used. So right. our support volume came up. Our, you know, the the, the frustration level of people who were using that because they're custom SharePoint, right? Yeah. They yeah. say Share, Microsoft broke SharePoint. Right. Right. Uh, and yes, there are times where we will break SharePoint. I mean, we had a fairly impactful outage yesterday due to our CDN being down, and you know, we feel really bad about that, and we'll take some issue to make sure that we, you know, don't let that. Uh, happen again in the future, that specific issue. So, um, but what we're trying to do by providing this general guidance is don't use our DOM as an API. We will break you. We're telling you that. We're telling you that you are signing up for that treadmill. Right. And, you know, while that may work for you in an intranet portal where you've got a developer on, you know, that can jump in and fix some stuff up because it's one master page or it's one, two or three things. When you've got a solution like SP services that is used by thousands and thousands of people on hundreds of thousands of sites. Yeah, and let's face it... You can't fix all those in two days. Right, and if you're <laughs> uh, if you're giving the keys to a site collection to a, a, a business user and they, they found Mark's blog, they, they're potentially going to be able to do that with SharePoint Designer and go in there and do that. So that the governance, the G word, needs to come into play and you need That's to right. have some kind of monitoring to see... You know, I've, I've spoke to customers that they have PowerShell scripts that will just scan through and see whether those scripts exist in site collections. Yep, look for unghosted right. pages, look for, yeah, we have a similar, we have um, the, the approach that we take within Microsoft is uh, that we have our kind of our commodity workload. Yeah. Yes, you, Mr. Power User, can't 
do those things. Right, right. Uh, this is really just a team side collaboration. Use it for document storage. Put some simple workflows, you know, approval workflows in there. But if you want to go off, we'll call it off the rails, and do uh, things that are expensive to support, then uh, we force you to use a custom environment right. um, that costs a whole lot of internal money yeah. uh, to run. And so uh, the reason we do that is because it costs a whole lot of money to keep that thing uh, stable through through the upgrade. And so we have to put a lot of people on it. We have to give those business users a lot of guidance when we're doing upgrades. Hey, we see that you've done X, Y, and Z. You're going to have to go do right. X, Y, and Z again after we apply these updates because yeah. your sites are going to be broken. And it just costs a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, we... Selfishly, there's the support aspect on our part, but then more importantly than that, there's the support aspect at the customers. Right, right, and whether that's um, the online scenario where it's like you know, really it's not in your control because you can uncheck first release, but at the same time, it's still going to come at some point to you. That's right, and um, that first release only works. I just want to be very clear because there's a lot of people that have reached out and asked me about first release, and they say, well, look, I, I got up an, I got another tenant, and I checked first release on that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to look for, you know, change coming, and then uh, if it breaks me, when that feature comes, I will go adjust my production site, you know, before it lights up on my, right. on my production site. Uh, totally get where they're coming from. Only what we call flighted features yeah. are done that way. Right, so, right. Introducing a new thing like Delve, we'll flight that, yeah. right? Or, we will light that up, or groups, yeah. right? We'll light that up to a subset. We'll internally, we'll go to uh, the 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 first release ring, and then if everything looks good, we've got it stable, everybody's kind of happy, and and good, then we'll start expanding it through a production release. But what I like to call our uh, QFE entropy or quick fix engineering, so using an internal acronym that uh, uh, all the devs here know and hate. Uh, is, you know, all of our hotfix stuff, the things that we do down in the bowels of SharePoint because of, you know, uh, quality bugs that were filed against the engineering team, none of those are flighted. Right, right. And so that entropy is going to come into your environment that, whether that you impact, choose first release or not. Right. And that could impact master pages. It could impact That's exactly API right. calls and That's project right. responses. So the thing that we're talking about that broke SP services came in as a, it wasn't, as a yeah, QFE. Right. So yep. that was not something that we made a lot of noise about. Now, we are working on ways that we can get better at catching those things in earlier release rings so that yep. we... That we know, uh, and that we can give as much heads up as we can to the community. And I'm looking forward to, uh, potentially November. We can, we can make some noise about that. Uh, but don't hold me to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're looking for options there to increase that surface area because SharePoint is so customizable. Yeah. There is no set of build validation tests or, uh, penetration tests well, or outside end tests that we could do that would cover the creativity of the developer ecosystem. Right. I see people stringing calls from this API to this API to this and then writing something into the DOM so that later they can grab it out of there and, right. you know, go make another call. We'll never be able to test all of those different permutations. Yeah. And so we're looking to focus on getting a lot of the common ones running in an early release ring so that we can at least tell when we break things. Right, right. It's uh, funny, like you talk to, the, you know, I've been in some meetings like yesterday actually where you explain some of the scenarios of what I did or I talk about what the MVPs are doing that mm -hmm. where we have these conversations with MVPs. Why are they doing that? I'm like, yeah. well, it gets a, 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 it gets a solution done for the customer. Yeah. And I think it's just a case of, you know, that thinking of the rails and, you know, making sure the customer realizes the risk they run of going down that path yeah. and, you know, their cost benefits of, you know, what that means to them later on down the track. And a lot of big companies got burnt with 2010 being shipped, 
and full backpedaled and went no customizations at all. That's right, because they got right. sticker shot, right? right. They, yeah, they spent $3 million doing this customization project. Right. They didn't realize that every time they upgrade that SharePoint farm, they're going to have to spend two. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that really impacts them. Right. Uh, and, and yes, we had a number of customers that, that kind of pulled back. Right. Did a lot of MSIT showcase requests where we showed them how we do. Here's commodity. Yeah. Here's portals. Right. Here's custom, and this is what really costs you money. Yeah. And if you put that money back on the business unit, nine times out of ten, unless they're marketing or... Uh, Corporate communications, no, maybe. Right. They're not going to want that cost, yeah, right? Yeah, they're yeah. going to look at that and go, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're going to send me a bill for what? Oh, because we have to maintain this crazy wonky thing that you've right. you've designed, and you want it to be exactly those many pixels and this and that and the other. You know, we have to maintain that over time. And yeah. so, uh, and it's only the same argument as if if SharePoint didn't exist and you'd done this on another platform. Yep. It'd be the same discussion had there. If That's you, exactly if you right. Were bending another product, it'd be the same argument every major version. So, I twisted and bent. Dot net yep. nuke. I twisted oh. and bent. Uh, you know, the, a few other CMS. Uh, Plum Tree Portal. Plum back in Tree the day. Portal, that's yeah. right. All of them have that same. Right, right. Uh, and I don't want to call it a weakness because, to be honest, if you're willing to pay to have the experience that you want your users to have, then you just need to be willing to pay that. Nothing comes for free. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. So. so, so in terms of the PMP, so there's certain scenarios that um, have been built out by the PMP team. Yeah, um, which are really helping with the ones that are commonly used in mainly in the customers working with directly in the the dedicated farms, but it's it's common pattern place it across it the, the the people in the normal standard. That's right. Uh, so, environment. so the way that we've approached this is we're actually working with customers to go through this process. What what, what does it look like to move you away from full trust customizations from sandbox? and move you to the new app model, and move you there in a way that we can do it with confidence, so that when engineering updates the, the VNext dedicated or the multi-tenant service, right. then we know that these are the, the ways that people have been told that they can customize SharePoint and yeah. not pay these taxes. And yeah. so, um, you know, we've been very focused on that. Uh, there's more guidance yet to come. I mean, we have, uh, I think two of those customers have gone through the entire transition, which is really cool. Uh, we reached that milestone, uh, I don't know, a month and a half, two months ago. So big ups to Veza for, uh, dragging a couple of customers all the way over the finish line and, right, right. and they're prepped for that, that move. Um, but we're working, now we're working with some of the largest customers right, that we right. have and, uh, they get a lot more creative in the types of customizations that they do. So look for more to get pumped into patterns and practices based on those learnings. And uh, as folks have, have seen, we've we've also got external folks who are starting to contribute, uh, which I'm super excited about. Um, now, you know, somebody wants to come contribute something. Uh, somebody on the core team is going to look at it. And, you know, we know what those flags look like. And we're going to say, hey, wait a minute. This is going going against where engineering is going, and we will actually get somebody in engineering to just to cross check it to cross check it. And if yeah. engineering says yes, we would support that, then we would be happy to include your sample and patterns and practices. Uh, if it is not something that engineering is willing to support uh, from a long term perspective, we're going to be very open about it, and yeah. we're going to have that conversation with you as to why. Yeah. Um, so we're willing to engage in that dialogue. So uh, you know, we pay attention. Well, to yeah, later on, it, as those come up, whether we can list those anywhere so people know which ones we've rejected. Yeah, uh, that's actually a great idea, uh, and I think we've chatted about that once before. Yeah. I'd love to uh, to work with you and figure out how best we can yeah, yeah. we can surface that because I, I know, think... like we can openly talk about this one because I know people are doing it and they know it's wrong, right? But it's kind of like screen grabbing and faking the post because there's no API and yes. cheating the like almost recording the playback it's, of the UI. It's UI automation. Right, I mean, right. let's let's be real. We 
affectionately call it our HTTP post pattern, only because it sounds technical, but uh, <laughs> it's really Visual Studio test, and you go record the actions, yeah. and, and you're going to replay them. We know we will break that, but there yeah. are a number of scenarios where that's the only option you have. If you find yourself reverting to that, get it on user voice. Right, right. Let us know. Yeah. And if it is common enough that other people voted up in the stack rank, we will look at it. Now, I'm not going to promise that every single thing in user voice is something that engineering will, will, will take action on. Because I'm going to be blunt. I've seen some of that stuff come in there. I need to be able to do HTTP modules. Uh, mm-hmm. That we're just never going to do. But we will have that conversation. We will tell you why. But those triage meetings, we've been pretty good. We'll reject them and we'll explain why. Or, That's right. Um, we, we change them to under review. Yep. So, that, you know, we do that every week. Dor- you know, Dorian Brown in ODP and a bunch of other guys... Um, where we'll flag them and say they're in progress and whatnot. So that's right. I think if you go in there now and look, you'll you'll see that there is action happening from those submissions. So that yeah. that side of it, we've been very cautious not to go submit it on user voice and let it sit there in its black box and never go anywhere. So yeah, and I, it's been great. To or see actually, the... the biggest one has been um, request for more information. Yep. So sounds like you mean this, but we need more information on why you need to do it type stuff. Yep. Because engineering, you know, want to have that discussion and work out. So that, that side of it's been a great um, communication channel back to people listening on the show to get that feedback back to engineering, which is cool. Yeah. And I'll just second what you said. There's a room full of people that sit there every week yeah, yeah. And, and triage that stuff. And so it's been great. Uh, some of the feedback that I got from uh, some folks in the community is, that's awesome. The developer team is listening. Yeah. Now, where's the SharePoint uh, uh, user voice? And I can't say anything yet, but we're, we're definitely working with the SharePoint and the OneDrive team to, yeah, interesting. to get them interested in user voice as well. Yeah, yeah. So, well, hopefully we've proved the, proved the value already with the dev stuff. We, we absolutely have, and yeah. that's that, that was why. So it was uh, other folks in the CXP team were the ones that were reaching out. Hey, you guys are doing this user voice thing right. and you're getting traction and, you know, how could we do that in SharePoint? So those conversations are going on right now. Yeah. Uh, can't promise anything because I'm not the one that's going to be running it and I don't want to sign anybody up. But uh, I, I I hope soon uh, that and we'll have a story As there. an example, the alternate CSS and the site logo URL APIs, that was done via feedback there too. That's right? absolutely right. So we yeah. saw it in our customer engagements. Yeah. Um, the engineering team somewhat resisted uh, the change initially, yeah. uh, but then it was raised in user voice as well. And so that was additional data that we were able to use to say, hey, look, we could kill X percentage of master page customization. Because again, the engineering team wanted right. to move people away from these custom master pages. Yeah, We could kill X percentage, and I don't remember what the percentage was, but it was somewhere in the 20s. Uh, where the reason they're doing this is because these two properties don't right, exist. Because they want to be able to reference a style sheet or reference, right. or uh, override the site URL. That's right. That's uh, right. The site logo. The logo, yeah. yeah. And be able to do that programmatically yeah. when I provision the site because we're very so much that, adopting so that makes a remote total sense. Again, put them on Rails, yeah. give them an API property they can call and override it rather right. than hacking away at the master page to do those things and have that risk that the Seattle.master yes. it's been too long for I use master pages. Oslo.master, Seattle.master. Yeah. I don't know what we're naming them now. Um, if they change that and then we make a refresh and you've, you know, you're not going to get that update. So yeah. that, that's a good example. I guess the other scenario um, would be if there's questions around you know, does this exist in PMP or have we considered that the Yammer group in the Office 365 technical networks, the other place where actually is the most popular developer group now? Um, yeah, so if you saw that, that I did that visualization that our great friend Rich Diz did. Uh, uh, the guy's awesome. Time. Yeah. So they did a, a Power BI animation of the activity and the growth of communication in the different developer groups we have in that network. And 
uh, the groups I'd started, which was like, more of the generic app model stuff mm-hmm. and the API stuff, started off really thick and fast, but yeah. the PMP stuff's taken off because the PMP guys are in there answering the questions. That's right. If you want to go to where the folks are who are actually working yeah. on this project, that's the place to go. Yeah. Those guys have been great. Uh, they spend a lot of their time outside of their paid time uh, doing this. And so, you know, folks uh, want to hear about community efforts. This is a community effort. I mean, yeah, these guys are on projects and doing this stuff, but a lot of it they do because they're passionate about it. They want to bring, you know, the SharePoint developers that we have grown over the last 15 years into this new model. We don't want to leave people behind. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess, you know, in the show notes, we've listed off a few of the PMP projects you can explore, whether it's, you know, applying branding via the app model or the alternate CSS and the site logo stuff and um, the app script part, I do want yeah. to make a little bit of a call out to that. That yeah. was something that we've heard. Uh, we heard over and over, hey, app parts aren't responsive. Yeah, you can resize them with some plumbing, but man, it's just crazy on a mobile device. And so this is a pattern that we that we work with the engineering to kind of come up with to say, hey, look, how do we kind of meet in the middle uh, to where we can build responsive designs? We can, uh, you know, put that stuff in, the, inject those stuff in those pages without having the app part limitations of the separate domain. And, you know, I'm just making CSOM calls. What do I need? Right. All of the SP web, you know, app web goo right. uh, to do that. And so that's where we came up with the app script part. Um, that one's a great one if you're doing responsive designs, intranet portals that need to scale. Uh, that's an approach you can look to take. I've, I've shown it to multiple customers. Uh, the JavaScript injection samples are the pattern that we've taken there. While engineering was very nervous about it at first, uh, they acquiesced that this is something that, that we need to be able to do. Yeah. And so that pattern is something that they've they've blessed as well. Um, you know, there's a great navigation sample for how to build navigation UIs with the JavaScript object model. Right. Um, so that's something we saw over and over and over again. Hey, I'm customizing the master page because I want to put my own nav in there. Yeah. Right. Um, we, the modifying pages. So wiki pages, I want to add web parts to pages. I want to do, you know, those types of things. Uh, we show some great examples for that. And there's actually some plumbing code in the core component that abstracts some of that away, yeah, which is I really cool. Bert Makes Jensen. it really reusable, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bert, yeah. Bert. Really did a good job on that stuff. Yep. Uh, OneDrive for business branding. Um, so there is an approach to doing that. There's actually a couple of different approaches that, that you can do. You know, there is the hide an app part on a page approach. There's also the, uh, uh, there's another approach that we have in there for, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's falling off my brain now. Yeah. Uh, it's partly theming, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the theming, the applying themes. Yeah. So. And then the last one there on that list was around the uh, deploying pre-configured web parts to the web part gallery yeah. and then adding the web part to an existing page or creating a new page and adding it. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff you do with FTC before with yeah. um, declarative XML and you know all that goodness and, and this is just giving you a new approach with the app model. This, and that's a great topic that I know we're starting to run long, Jeremy, but I really want to touch on. Uh, I have this over and over and over again. People are like, well, but I deploy my lists with a list schema, and I deploy my content types and my site columns with a, you know, with an XML, and you know, it works great for me. And why would I want to go write code? And then I always ask those people, "Have you ever upgraded any of those?" <laughs> well, what do you mean? Well, have you gone through an upgrade, you know, from 2010 to 2013, or, or even better? You wanted to upgrade your solution, add a couple more site columns, and right. or you know, maybe extend what that list does and change that. Were you able to do that declaratively? And then the light bulb starts right. to go off. And they we go, need declaratively, it's like the XML that Visual Studio spun up. That's right. You can change that all you like, redeploy it. And all so that'll cool. do is change the subsequent 
instance instances that, that yeah. you create. It will not go back and and, and, and update the right. ten thousand places where you've provisioned that list across your team site environment. Yeah. And so you end up having to write code to do that upgrade anyway. My argument is, why start with XML? Right, right. Uh, just write the code. We've got some helper classes in our core library that we think makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, we'd love to hear feedback on how we could even make it easier, uh, you know, without building Camel V2 yeah. out here in the cloud, uh, which is some suggestions that some other people have had. Yeah, I've but, seen it. And actually, there's uh, some open source projects from some, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but a Russian guy in Sydney, in Australia, actually, um, which has already done all that stuff with managed code. Right. So, like, correct me a content, you know, it's, and it's, it's pretty powerful it's stuff. Pretty cool I stuff. the name of the project. So, if you're listening, it's, it begins with A, but I, I really can't remember how you pronounce it. But if you are, put, reply on the blog post with your link to your source project. Yeah. But I think the other side of the uh, imperative versus declarative, the imperative way, the amount of times I've tried to build a list schema with XML and it, you deploy it H and result. you get this H result error and no explanation of you Muppet, you've made a, typo in the attribute on this element of your XML. Whereas if it's managed code, you step through your code and it'll blow up exactly at the line of code. Exactly Um, at the line of code where you're trying to do that. You get the reuse, you get IntelliSense, you don't get any XML. There's a huge amount of advantages there that you just don't get. And I I do understand, like, in 2007 days and maybe in 2010, you never saw examples imperative ways of provisioning elements or artifacts. Right. But I think that's come a long way and the PMP team have done a great job with the core library inside that um, that repo where now you can see a lot of that happening yeah. there. So that's Yeah, cool. and we've heard a lot of feedback from the community. Wow, can you just make that core library a NuGet package and we'll just start using that. Uh, we have nothing to share at this time, but definitely something that we would like to do at some point in the future. Yeah. Uh, definitely have some legal hurdles to to get over for, for reuse of a component in a production environment. So yeah. we're trying to figure out what that means and you know, this new world of open source, but we'll yeah. get there. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things I will call out, a lot of people gave us feedback. Hey, this is all great. You're just giving me C sharp, but I'm a PowerShell guy. Um, one of the best community contributions I've seen from an external contributor was a guy took uh, all of our uh, core component APIs and wrapped them up in PowerShell to where you can uh, yeah. you can call them from PowerShell. And so I just thought that was just it was just great, yeah. right? So then all the IT pros who only run PowerShell. You know, they don't have a fancy custom site provisioning engine. What they do is create a site collection and then run some PowerShell against it to go deploy stuff and do stuff. Right. Uh, they can continue down that path as well if that's the pattern yeah, they yeah. want to take. And they yeah, can... we do get a lot of questions around admin APIs in the service. Yeah. And um, the answer from engineering has really been uh, around, well, pow- you know, PowerShell is the way forward. And yep. we aren't going to be building CSOM and for, uh, everything. for RESTful right. for everything. And 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 because they see IT pros using PowerShell, so they'll continue down that PowerShell route. Now, where that doesn't work, I guess, is um, if I'm down at building a mobile app or I'm building my own standalone right. web app, and I want to get at admin stuff that only exists in PowerShell yeah. and not in our APIs. That's like the flip side of yeah. Then we have this device. inverse problem where now yeah. I have to figure out how to call PowerShell from the thing I'm on, or right. or call it from my .NET provider hosted yeah. app into into a broker that's yeah. calling yeah. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that going on as well. And um, again, user voice is a place to yeah. um, definitely amplify that if you're after admin APIs. That the vast majority of admin right. APIs are used once or twice. It's a flip, you know, switch you right. flip. So I kind of get that from their perspective. But if there's one that's not available through our API surface and you need it, user voice, user voice, user voice. Yeah, yeah. 
We want to hear those yeah, things. Yeah, certainly something. And I said automating this, the side loading process is one that I've seen. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, so automating yeah. deploying the apps That's and stuff. Right. Yeah, I think um, the engineers, especially last week, having the ISVs in a room and going, "We need this. We need that. We need that." And I'm and I after they'd all left and you know we had a beer with engineers. I'm like. I've been telling you guys this for four or five months. It's like, well, you know, but you know, we don't know where that data's coming from. Right. And so having it on user voice where you guys are going in and voting or getting you, you know, ISVs in person talking to the engineers, they believe those guys a lot more than me, right. the measly marketing guy, as they see me, yeah. uh, giving that feedback. So user voice is genuinely being um, Absolutely. used as evidence of prioritizing their I've been doing that same thing, and I think over the last three or four years, I've built a pretty high signal-to-noise ratio with those engineers, <laughs> but... Uh, so now when I come screaming at them, they, they typically well, will was, listen, but yeah. uh, having that data behind it just makes it an argument they can't. There, there was definitely ignore. a few, like in the first few months I was here that I asked for and really tried to explain why I thought that was important that those ISVs last week said, and I'm looking at them and see, see, I told you. And that's how you build signal to noise. But so it's three years from now, Jeremy. Three years, man, they'll actually know. listen to me. Yeah. That's right, that's right. Uh. <laughs> well, um, I really appreciate your time, mate. I know you've been really busy today. Like I walked in your office earlier on and you were like, oh no, I've got to do this podcast now. So. I appreciate you doing this. Um, I'm sure everyone listening gets a huge amount of value out of the fact that you really are on the, I guess, the, the front here of uh, dealing with customers and the pains there and um, the, the the fine balance between what customers want to do and what the engineers want to do. And I think yeah. the, the way you approach it is really useful and it's candid for these guys to understand. Look, we're, we're being as open as we can on our guidance on how people should be moving forward with this stuff. That's right, and and I I appreciate that feedback, and I've heard it from quite a lot of folks. I mean, some of the things I'll say kind of go counter, and we have some heated arguments, but or not some some passionate discussions. Uh, yeah. Let's just say it that way. Um, but you know, I, I have firmly, uh, after dealing with customer escalations for you know two three years after first coming up here, uh, I'm firmly in the camp that you should be open, you should be honest, you should let people know. That's how you build trust. Right, right. Um, going off in a dark hole for six months and then popping out with something that may or may not be what your customer wants. Not a good good approach. So. Yeah, yeah. I'll continue to be candid until they promote me or fire me. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know which way it goes. The, the blue pool, the red pool. Right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Cool. Well, um, enjoy the rest of your week, and um, we'll definitely get you back on the show at some point. I suspect significantly after Tech Edge Europe, maybe because I think there'll be a few more things we can definitely talk about. I there. think I, I think that would be a good time to do it. I'm yeah. kind of excited about some of the stuff that uh, that's coming out then, and yeah, love to come back and and talk about some of those. Uh, uh, those demo solutions that people will see. Yeah, I, I think my life's going to be fairly busy for the next few weeks. Both of us. And I think it's because you're signing me up to fly all over the place, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Mos- Jeremy. Moscow will be fine. You'll you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Actually, just actually, that's a good point. I should yeah. mention that. Um, the Office 365 Summit. Uh, it's free training. Free. Free training. training. Steve yeah. is doing... I'm going to do Miami, Miami, and I'm going to do Moscow. Moscow. Uh, yeah. Couldn't do New York, but uh, that's, yeah. we've got some great folks going to be there, too. Yeah, so, so if you go to uh, summit.office.com, uh, and you'll be able to go there, and you'll see all the events. They're all over the place, all yeah. over the world. Um, I've been in charge with building out all the content for it. Um, it's some really good content, and I'm making sure I have speakers like Steve, Richard Desiriga, Israel Vega, Adam yeah. Toth. There's some excellent speakers um, that are going to be there at these events, and it's free. So yeah. I'd highly recommend trying to kind of wrangle your way on that with your boss. So 
go and check that out, summitoffice.com. And um, yeah, big thanks to you for doing those ones. Yeah, yeah, no, look forward to it. I always like delivering the first two or three yeah. of, of, of new training because we can hear the feedback. We can maybe well, adjust it. Well, it's pretty cool. It's like Sydney, Dubai, Kuala oh, yeah. Lumpur, Mexico City. Hey, if I didn't have a wife Amsterdam, and a kid, I'd go around the world. If so. you were single, you could just do like six months of traveling, right? That's right. That's yeah, right. unfortunately, we can't do that anymore. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good. Right, well, thanks very much, Steve, anyway. And I, I hope you guys have enjoyed the show. Um, any questions, please go and jump on our Yammer group, the uh, podcast group there. I'm going to chuck another survey up because I'm interested to see what other sessions you're interested in. We've done three workflow sessions now, which have had huge amounts of download hits. So the survey is working. So I'd love to hear any feedback on um, what other shows you want. So again, thanks, Steve, and um, catch you on another show. Anytime. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of your Office 365 developer needs. All the links from the show are in the blog post on blogs.office.com WACDEV, where you can find the latest news about Office 365. If you have any ideas for new shows or questions for us, please join us in our Yammer group in the Office 365 Technical Network. Have a great week, guys, and keep coding on Office 365.